Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. Well, it has been a weird day because the reports of strange phenomena are just pouring in, and it's kind of funny how once in a while a day will go by when I check my email and, oh, there's always a lot of email there. But I don't get any new reports. And then there are days when I get up and, boy, it's just flooding in from all over the place. And uh, so something is happening. Uh, The month of April is not over yet. And so I just want to give you a couple examples that I, I thought were interesting. For one thing, you may have heard me tell this story for years on various radio programs that for a long time I have interviewed and heard about a number of people who live across the island of Puerto Rico who are completely disconnected they have no relationship with each other and yet they have a very distinctive experience that is common to all of them and the typical one goes something like this um usually a couple um usually it's just a married couple will wake up in the middle of the night petrified to find a ball of light hovering a few feet above the floor at the foot of the bed Now, you can imagine how you would be absolutely shocked and frozen to see such an unexpected sight. And so they just sit there, both of them staring at it, uh, motionless, and a sound emanates from the ball of light. Now, both people describe the sound, but it's different for each person. For one person, usually the woman, what's coming from the ball of light sounds like some kind of recording that's in fast motion, like a... Like if you hit the fast-forward button on an old audio cassette. And it just seems like some high-pitched nonsense. And to the other person, usually the man, it sounds like a calm, fatherly voice. And the voice says always something to the effect of something big is about to happen on this island, but don't worry, you will be protected. And then, poof! It disappears and for the longest time I knew something big was going to happen in Puerto Rico and I'd like to think that well it was Hurricane Maria and that happened and that's done and now that's over and yet I have to be honest with you I don't think that's the end. I think there are more things that that may be about to happen. And by the way, 
everyone I was able to contact who had had that experience was indeed unscathed by Hurricane Maria. So I woke up today and I had a message from one of my best friends in Puerto Rico, a man named Will. And uh, he has a girlfriend he lives with named Dana. And Will is a very practical guy. Um, He is, uh, well, for one thing, he has a background in finance, but he's also the best chef I've ever met. Um, Anyway, so he, I don't even think he knew, actually, about the story that I just told you. He texted me and he said that uh, last night, 2 o'clock in the morning, something weird happened. He said that there was this big, bright, strobing light that was outside one window of the bedroom and then moved to the other window and then disappeared. Now, Will has lived there for, oh, I'd say 12, 13, 14, maybe 15 years. He's been there for a long time. And Dana's been there for years. And he said, you know, we've been in the same house. We know what's normal here. And that was really bizarro that at two in the morning, the strobing light appeared outside their windows. And so I think uh, these kinds of things may be happening again. Um, His is the first report of a light in the middle of the night since Hurricane Maria. And so um, that was one of the first things that I I got today. And then I want to tell you about this email I received. So as you know, I have a lot of friends in the media. And one of them is a very prominent television anchor. Um, I will not use her name here without her permission. But uh, she recently took a tour of the Stanley Hotel. Now, the Stanley Hotel is the hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, where Stephen King was staying when he was inspired to write the book The Shining. And so, really, the Overlook Hotel in the book The Shining is actually based on the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park. Now, the movie The Shining uh, was not filmed there, but um, nonetheless, if you're a Stephen King aficionado, you know that the Stanley was the place that Stephen King was envisioning when he was writing that story. And uh, I've been there uh, at least a couple times. In fact, uh, just last year I was there. Uh, Lauren had never been to the Stanley, and I was in Colorado to uh, film with George Norrie. You know, he has his uh, Gaia program called Beyond Belief, and that's filmed in Boulder. And Boulder is maybe an hour, a little more than an hour's drive from uh, Estes Park. And uh, really, Estes Park's a really cool area. I mean, it's, it's very high elevation, and there are elk running around all over the place, and you have like a little, 
it's, it's kind of like a little saloon town with boardwalks and stuff. I mean, I really like Estes Park. So, uh, when you go into the Stanley, the first thing that you're struck by is, uh, I mean, it, it's a big rambling property, but you're struck by the fact that all the areas you're in uh, seem smaller than you were expecting. So, in other words, like if you watch the movie The Shining, Kubrick specifically chose these big, vast rooms with high ceilings and giant walls. So the whole set, the whole location seems to be oppressive. But the Stanley is not like that. Uh, It's actually a little bit more on the cozy slash claustrophobic side. Um, But that said, uh, and I'll, I'll also point out this before I continue. Um, the guy, and, I, and I'm just pulling this out of thin air, so hopefully I get this right. The guy after whom the Stanley is named became rich from uh, creating or producing the Stanley Steamer, which was a steam-powered automobile. And what's funny is that you have certain people out there who say, oh, Stanley Steamer, he, he's the guy who does the cleaning service, you know. It's like, no, 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 this, this is the original Stanley Steamer, you know, steam-powered auto, and that was the empire that created the Stanley stuff. So anyway, my friend, the TV anchor, she sent me this email, and she said, this is what happened during the night ghost tour at the Stanley. My battery was almost full, then my phone turned off, and this was what it said when it turned back on. And she sent me a picture. And here is a screenshot of her phone, and it says, and I can see her battery is almost gone, and it says, this iPhone has experienced an unexpected shutdown because the battery was unable to deliver the necessary peak power. Performance management has been applied to help prevent this from happening again. (laughs) And um, so her battery went from being almost full to, as I can see on the little icon there, boom, at the bottom of the barrel, red, just like that. And... This is something that every paranormal investigator is familiar with. Um, you, you go into a place with equipment to document what's happening, but unfortunately, the phenomenon has a detrimental effect on the equipment. So this is part of the problem when it comes to paranormal research and paranormal investigation, that you might bring out all the best tools in the world but if the phenomenon if if part of the phenomenon is making the tools not work well there you go there's your conundrum right there when it comes to proving what's real and what's not real and gaining evidence for these phenomena and I, I wrote her back and I was telling her yeah I've seen this before that it seems like there are certain places where paranormal activity occurs because those places are able to somehow, and I'm using these words very loosely, 
suck energy from one point so that it can be expelled at another point. So you could say if you see a ghost or you have an interdimensional encounter or whatever, well, that requires some kind of energy output. Everything does. Well, where does that energy come from? Well, it may be that in some cases there are spots within our dimensional landscape, within our planes, where um, it's almost like terminals of a battery, where you know one side has a deficit of electrons, and so when electrons enter, what do they do? They pour into that deficit, and then occasionally that deficit is filled, and what does it do? It then explodes in sporadic bursts of energy that we experience as quote-unquote paranormal phenomena. So, I have been so intrigued by this because I've seen it over and over and over again that I did do at least one very controlled test. And uh, it's kind of funny because it's one thing to talk about all this stuff. It's another thing when you get out there and you do experiments like I do. I used to do a lot of um, ghost hunts and investigations and events at the Smith McDowell House, which is the oldest house in Asheville, North Carolina. And years ago, um, I did an experiment where, um, well, I should say first off, I I'd brought groups through there on ghost hunts, and it was one of those places where you know batteries would just boom, just zap out, just like my friends did. And um, so I decided to do a very controlled experiment, and I took a. Nine, I, I, took, I bought a pack of 9-volt batteries, fresh 9-volt batteries. There were two of them in the, in the pack. Uh, I think it was 9-volt. Anyway, whatever it was, I, I had a fan, like a little battery-powered fan. And I put a battery in the fan, and then I recorded the time. I actually put the fan right next to an atomic clock, so the, the time was right down to the greatest accuracy possible and I put a video camera on it and I let it run at my house using my house as a control and I saw how long that fan would run and I don't remember exactly how long it ran Uh, I could go back and research this and dig it up for you if you'd like but that's not really uh, necessary for what I'm telling you. Then I went to the Smith McDowell house and I did the same thing. I put the, the battery powered fan there with the clock next to it with a camera and I let it run. And I was amazed to see that it lasted exactly the same amount of time. There was no difference whatsoever. I mean, you would think that even though these are you know standardized batteries and whatnot that there would be a little variance but it was like boom exactly the same 
So I was disappointed because I was hoping that I would go to the Smith McDowell house and I would uh, find that, well, the battery lasts half as long here. Or maybe it just gets zapped all of a sudden. That didn't happen. I only did that exper- experiment once. Um, and and it's, it's possible, of course, that, well, maybe my house was haunted. <laughs> so I was just comparing one haunted place to another haunted place. But the point is... I do know at times this happens. And so I don't think it's some kind of a consistent effect. Because if it were a consistent property of a property, then I should have gotten a a variation when I compared the Smith McDowell property to my house, which was far from the Smith McDowell. But this is something that I would like for any of you who are into paranormal investigation to do. Uh, It's a very simple experiment, okay? Go out and grab yourself a battery-powered fan. It could be 9-volt powered or it could have double A's, whatever it is. But make sure that you buy a pack of batteries that have all the batteries needed for the entire experiment so that you know you're getting them all from the same... Uh, background so to speak and then just put your um, put your fan there next to a clock in front of a camera that's recording the whole thing see how long it runs at a control location that you think is not active and then do the same thing at a place that's supposedly haunted or paranormally active and let's see if there is a variance. Let's see if there's a difference. This is a very interesting and simple experiment that everybody can participate in. But, that said, you know, I gotta tell you, when I check my emails, and I'm always talking about how overwhelmed I am by the amount of emails and uh, just the amount of communication that comes in every day. Okay, I have like 50 voicemail messages, 100 texts, you know, hundreds of emails. I mean, it, it, it really does become ridiculous. One of the things that I look at when I'm judging whether or not I'm going to continue even paying attention to a message that comes in is how it is written. And... When I get messages from people who know me, those messages are concise, they are to the point, they're usually no more than a few sentences, and they're written fairly well, the exception being Mobius. I'm always chiding Mobius because his grammar skills need some improvement. Sorry to do that to you publicly, Mobius, but you know what I'm talking about. I, I, I always, I, I joke with our friends, I say, if you can speak Mobius, that's a different language. But no, most of the time, if I'm, and, and, and by the way, the first time Mobius emailed me, I wasn't sure if he, this guy was nuts or not, but it turns out he wasn't. <laughs> of course, that's debatable. But I look at grammar. 
I look at the usage of language. And so I you would not believe the maniacal ramblings that I receive. And sometimes I'll you know somebody will send me this giant email full of maniacal ramblings and 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 I'm not, often it's very complimentary it's very nice stuff you know they're supporters and so I'll be like you know I'm going to read this I am going to sit down I'm going to clear my mind and I'm going to read this and I do my best and I sit there and I try to connect all this together and at the end of it I'm like you know this person I think has some good points here and there but that doesn't matter because all of those good points are just tiny kernels within a clump of shit and I have I've had people and my friends who, who saw this can attest to it I have had people write me on the inside of cereal boxes that they've stripped open so so like literally someone would take like a box i think it was a box of lucky charms and break that thing open and write a big maniacal scrawl on the inside and then go take the time to go out put that thing in an envelope write the the addresses put a stamp on that thing and send it to me can you believe that can you believe that people will do that kind of shit i mean it's now that that is very resourceful that is definitely a form of recycling i can tell you that um but i want you to understand like you know when you send me a report of something i do pay attention i will read these things but if you want it to be taken seriously keep it short keep it to the point make it grammatically correct okay if this is important enough for you to send then run it by somebody else you know don't even just rely on I'm not, by grammatically correct i'm not talking about spell check we all have typos we all have spelling errors it, i i've published over 20 books with huge publishers like Simon & Schuster, the biggest publisher in the world. I still will write something and say, Lauren, I just want a second set of eyes. Take a look at this. Always, you know, if you're going to send me something and you that's important enough for you to send it, put a second set of eyes on it before it gets, you know, to this point because otherwise i'm just gonna be like "Eh, this may just be another wacko i hope that you understand that and i also think that it's important to consider that um i don't know anything about who you are you have a little more information about me um i mean (laughs) it's kind of weird sometimes uh if you're on stage or whatever and people have seen you in some other capacity you have to be like hey this ain't tv i'm on stage you know and so basically uh you can get you know people get on the internet and they post all kinds of crazy stuff but uh you on the other hand 
you're pretty exposed if you're in my position and so yeah I can read something posted by some anonymous figure but uh, I'm not anonymous and so you know who you're writing to but I don't necessarily know who you are I guess that's the point um I want to wrap this podcast up with uh, a couple of positive notes because this is a very weird day um I am preparing, of course, for my huge event in Las Vegas called Finding Your Magic that is going to be May 16th, 17th, and 18th. And I'm very fortunate that Lauren is an extremely uh, talented artist and uh, she's very crafty and she can work on all of these weird little uh, projects and products that we're putting together because I am... Uh, I'm creating a lot of unique, specialized, metaphysical, call them tools or props or whatever you will, that are going to be used for exercises that we do during the event. And so for one of these exercises, I needed a shirt that uh, had to be sort of chopped up and so we were driving around collecting things for this uh, this project and I went to Goodwill to buy a shirt why not you know so and, and if you're not from the US or whatever Goodwill is like a thrift shop and basically the idea is that people donate clothes they don't want to Goodwill and Goodwill resells them and then um, their money goes to charities and so anyway uh, I went to Goodwill and bought a long sleeve shirt and I think my uh, total was you know it was like four dollars and some change for pretty nice long sleeve shirt and again, the, the, from the, I'm just going to cut this thing up into pieces for this project. And so the lady at the counter, she said, you want to round it up to five? And I said, huh? And she said, would you like to round it up to five? And I realized that she was asking me, since that my total was like $4 and 20 some cents, would I just like to make it five and I said uh yeah yeah so because I actually had a five dollar bill in my hand and so I rounded it up to five I gave her my five dollar bill and when I got my receipt back it said um here is the amount for the shirt and 73 cents to uh donation and you know after that Lauren and I were talking about the fact that even though yeah that's a little weird because I nobody I that I can recall has ever asked me that before what an interesting idea because I hate walking around with change in my pocket I really do I, I think most of us can relate to that 
And can you imagine if a giant company like Walmart decided to just just take one day, just one day in all their stores and say to everybody, whatever their total is, would you like to round it up to the next number? And then gave that money to charities, how much money that would be? What a simple project that could make a huge impact on the world. For one thing, you don't have to walk around with all this annoying change jangling in your pocket. And then also, I guarantee you, you get 73 cents from me you get 95 cents from this person you get 10 cents from that person you combine that in a day that could be a gigantic fund of money that could go to all kinds of great honest charities and so uh i you know i i really would get behind that like some kind of a charity call round it up and again you don't have to do it every day you could do it every day but what if you just did it one day just have a day where it's like today whatever you buy we're going to round it up and everybody participates and we're going to take that money and we're going to put it in a giant charity and that charity is going to hand that money out honestly to people in need of this or that or the other that is a good idea isn't it so think about that here is the uh, last thing I'll tell you today. Another reason that today is kind of exciting, and April is always weird, is that uh, I have released, once again, my announcement that I have 50, well, let me put it this way, I had 50 forces of nature wands. Um, I say had because I sent out an e-newsletter last night and I don't even know how many are left. They immediately started selling all over the world. Uh, The forces of nature wand is the most popular wand that I have ever created. And I know you might be thinking right now, well, how did this guy have the ability in, to create 50 new wands with all the other stuff he's doing? Well, here's what happened. When I made my last batch of Forces of Nature wands um, months ago, I got to the point where I realized there's like 10 different components that you need to make this wand and I had all of them except one and so I had 50 that were almost complete but not quite and I put those things aside I finally was able to obtain the last component and so it was no problem just to pop that last component on there and say voila 50 more available so I honestly do have 50 more well again uh, less than 50 now but I I created a uh, a new offering of 50 
forces of nature wands. Uh, if you go to joshuapwarren.com and you click the link to the curiosity shop, uh, very soon it will say in big red letters, sold out. That's how it has been for months. But for today, as of this moment, you will see green letters that say in stock. If you don't know what the forces of nature wand is, then go look at it and watch the video of me demonstrating it and you will see why it is the most popular wand I have ever created. Again, go to my curiosity shop at joshuapwarren.com. Remember, there is no period after the P in joshuapwarren.com. And while you're there, well, you can also click the link to this podcast. It's called Joshua P. Warren Daily. It's always short. It's always free. I try to do one every day, but it's getting harder uh, at certain times, especially now as I get closer to my big event in Vegas. But anyway, when you click the link there, you'll see that you can subscribe via various means, or you can just follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren and I will tweet when a new one is available. So that's it for today. Thank you for listening to my maniacal ramblings. Thanks for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious, and I will talk to you again soon.